This is Martin McKay from the Network Security Podcast. And this is Chris John Riley from the Eurotrash Security Podcast. And you're listening to the official podcast of the first 2011 conference in Vienna, Austria. To find out more, please visit the site at www.first.org. And now we join our interview in progress. This time on the podcast, I'm lucky enough to be talking to Ken Van Wick, President and Principal Consultant at KRVW Associates. Ken is a visiting scientist at the Software Engineering Institute at Carnegie Mellon University, where he's also a course instructor and consultant at the CERT Coordination Center. Ken is presenting at this year's first conference on developing and testing secure iPhone applications. I started the interview by asking Ken for a brief overview of his talk. The topic of the talk that I'm going to be doing at the first conference in Vienna this year is on secure application development for Apple's iOS platform. There are a lot of minds out there in that minefield, a lot of mistakes that you can make if you're not aware of some of the security problems with the iOS platform. Um, I think it's a brilliant platform and, and mobile applications are hugely important to all of us right now, but there are a lot of mistakes that you can make, um, right down to relying on Apple's own encryption mechanisms. They sound brilliant when you look at the specifications. Hardware AES-256 encryption with a unique hardware key for every single device. <laughs> but when you look at the, the, the real underpinnings of how Apple has implemented this, it turns out that they made some pretty fundamental mistakes with key management. And as we've now seen, if you're relying on Apple's uh, encryption as one example, you really can't put really sensitive customer data out there and, and expect for it to not get discovered at some point. So th that's that's the main gist of what I'll be talking about. We'll, we're going to be going through that minefield and talk about each of the mines one at a time and where they are and, and how to avoid them, of course, too, when you're developing applications. Do you see the, the problem more that developers are incorrectly using the functions of the APIs and, and what uh, Apple is providing, or do you see it that they're trying to code things themselves and just simply doing things wrong? Well, well I, I, first off, I wouldn't say there's a problem. There's a lot of problems. One is, is that Apple has provided us with this really pretty darn good software development environment, their um, Xcode SDK, and tons and tons and tons of online um, documentation on how to use that. And if you go through Apple's recommendations and read up, for example, how do I encrypt a file so that somebody can't decrypt it on my device? You'll read how to turn on file protection. And they say it's AES encrypted and it sounds brilliant. But as I said, the key management issues um, are, are significant there. If you're placing something really, really valuable, like file uh, financial transaction data into a file locally, somebody someday is going to find that stuff and they're going to be able to get to it. So one of the problems is that if you simply go online as a naive, well, I shouldn't even say naive, but as a developer who's eager to develop an app for iOS, if you go online and read what Apple has to offer, you're going to go down this path and think everything's great, when in fact it isn't. So that's one of the, the, the issues. Another one is, is that developers tend to really focus uh, on functional specifications. And if we're simply looking at an application as a checklist of functionality, then securing data really isn't a functional thing. It's a non-functional thing. And it kind of gets in the way of functional stuff. So developers who don't understand enough about security 
are very likely to make some pretty fundamental mistakes. And so what we're trying to do is get some guidance out there for people to to have a clearer understanding of what it is that they're walking into. Um, you know, I like the metaphor of mines in a minefield. You know, it's, it seems to work here. You're walking through a minefield and there are some significant mines there and you have to have a map of where they are in order to be able to go around them. Correct me if I'm wrong on this. I mean, this is going from memory here, but one of the things I've I've heard recently about the difficulties of iOS programming is that apples do seem to move the goalposts. They will they will come up with a standard way of doing something. You will develop your product to the standard way of achieving it, and then six months later, with the new revision of software, they will have a brand new way of doing that and a better way of doing that. And you'll be stuck on the old version. And developers have to keep going back and bringing themselves up to the new standards. Is, is that correct, or am I thinking of something different? I'm going to say yes and no. First of all, saying six months is probably unfair. The, their release cycle has tra traditionally been one-year cycles. And for the first couple of years now of the SDK, you know, the first year that the iPhone was out there, there wasn't an SDK available to people. So there wasn't any software developed for it. So if you're thinking in terms of the iOS platform history, it's really only about three years that people have been out there and, and doing active development for it. And, and the release cycle has been about once a year and when a, a, a major release comes out. But you are correct. You know, technology moves on. And, and if we try to keep everything backwards compatible, the things that we were doing back when the SDK was first released, there's going to be some problems there. And, and uh, the, the, the hardware encryption that came along was only in the 3GS, for example. So anything prior to that, you don't have that. And, and even though Apple's implementation of that is somewhat flawed, it still can be used for some basic things. And um, if they don't make their SDK and their, their application programming interfaces, their APIs, if, if they don't move those forward, they're going to be trapped into that cycle of making sure that everything is always backwards compatible. Um, and ask MS-DOS and, and the, the, the people at Microsoft how that's worked out for them over the years. Um, it doesn't tend to work very well, at least from a security standpoint. So at one, on one side of that argument, it's frustrating to have to go back and change your stuff uh, every year or so. But the other side of that is that things are improving and, and our applications should improve along with that. One of the questions I've heard quite a lot is where the responsibility lies on securing the applications because obviously Apple have a I'm going to say stringent, don't know exactly what process it goes through, but they have a process where they test applications before putting them into the marketplace. Is it up to Apple to be pointing out to application developers where they're doing things wrong, insecurely, or not in the optimal way? Uh, it, only to a degree. Personally, I think that the responsibility is still the application developer. It still falls on the application developer. Apple does have, of course, a very um, publicized and much, uh, a lot of complaints about their application review process. That said, they do publish guidelines, right? So they, they don't publish their process. They don't publish what tools they use to review them. But if you're an app developer, you go out to the developer portal, you can read their guidelines on what it is they're, they're going to be looking for. And most of the things on there, in fact, one of the things that, that I did when, when those guidelines were posted and, and then later when they were revised, I went out to that list and I searched for the word security and it doesn't exist in that list. So they're clearly not focused on the security of your app when they're reviewing those applications that you submit to the App Store. They're focused on 
functionality and playing by their rules. In other words, you have to use a published API to perform an action. Let's say, for example, geolocation. If you want to have your application determine where on the planet your, app, your, your iPhone is, you have to use their API for that. And there are controls around that. So when an application tries to determine its location, the user is asked, do you want this application to be able to know your current location? And, and you have the, the choice of, of yes or no. You can opt in or out. If you bypass their API and, and did that around the API, it's quite possible that you would be able to check the location of something without ever notifying a user. And Apple clearly doesn't want that sort of thing to happen. So a lot of their testing, or at least their checklist that they publish, is focused on ensuring that all applications play by those rules properly. And, and I think that that's to protect the consumer as, as much as the, their own hides. <laughs> I guess that kind of brings into question the, the difference between how Apple are handling, handling things and how Google are handling things with the Android marketplace. Yeah. Between those two different models, you know, Apple doing checks on, on software and Google just simply providing a marketplace, which do you think is the, the better option? Well, I, th I think it's too complex a, a, um, a question to simply say this one is better than the other. There are certainly attributes about each that, that I like. I think, for example, Apple's review of the applications in the App Store they get a lot of complaints about it, but at the end of the day, they've been pretty darn good at keeping things like malware out of, of the App Store. Not perfect, but they've been pretty good at it, um, as opposed to several incidents that we've had now in the Google uh, markets, where um, the, the Android markets, I should say, where um, malicious software has been placed there just in the last week. We've had a few more incidents of that. At the same time, if, if you look at the, the question in a slightly bigger context, there are certainly some things on the Android platform that they've, they've done worlds better than, than Apple has. My, my, my favorite one, you know, we, we've mentioned this before, is that on the Android platform, every application has a unique identifier and it has its own permissions using Unix-style access controls. And if you get those things right, then each application is pretty darn well sandboxed from the others um, and it's enforced by the operating system pretty effectively as opposed to Apple's model where every single application runs with root privileges and even a small kink in that armor means that an attacker can uh, pierce that, that privilege level and do uh, activities or do things on the system with root level privileges. And in the incident response world that first lives in, we all know the consequences of that. So th th there, there are good points and bad points about both. but. I personally think that at the end of the day, Apple's approach is going to better serve the consumer than uh, Google's approach. And if we look at the malware incidents as one harbinger of that, then I think Apple is off to a better start. Well, they certainly seem to be off to a better start when it comes to enterprise support, because I know it's something that's slightly lacking on the Android platform. Do you see security becoming more of a, a big issue for Apple as they try and move more into the enterprise market? I think it has to be. I think especially now with, with the iPad very firmly in play, it's been out for over a year now, we're on the iPad 2 and so on and so forth. I think that that's getting a lot of user level acceptance even in the enterprise environments and um, Apple would be foolish to ignore that. And, and so people are using these devices all over the place. They want to connect to the Wi-Fi at the office and things like that. And, and I think for Apple to really succeed there in the long run, they're going to have to uh, become even more enterprise friendly than they are today. 
as someone who's talking about uh, iOS application development, what process would you say an application developer should go through to, to upgrade their knowledge for iOS development? Is there a, a set path they can take? Are there are set you know, books and projects and things that they should be looking at to really kind of give a good foundational knowledge? Well, you know, there's different tiers there, right? So as somebody who's just getting started versus an intermediate or an expert at, at software development, certainly if, if you've been developing software and, and you think, hey, this iOS stuff is interesting, or, or you've been tasked with developing an app in your environment at your, at your place of employment, there's some really good resources out there. Um, the one that, that I looked at when I, when I was first diving into uh, this topic for one of my clients was I went out to iTunes University and grabbed Stanford University's iOS development class. I found it to be tremendously useful and it's free. It is a full semester of an undergraduate course. Um, you have homework assignments, you write some software in there, and it, it was enormously useful for me to get my head around Objective-C. Apple has also released a couple of freely available books through uh, iBooks on the iPad on uh, Objective-C, on Cocoa, um, and, and the things that you need to understand in order to effectively write software on the iOS platform. Um, and then there's, of course, a, a whole slew of non-free books out on Amazon and all sorts of places like that. But but there's there's some pretty darn good resources. And, and Apple's own developer portal really has some extremely useful information. When I was uh, diving into this topic uh, just under a year ago, I spent a lot of time on the Apple portal just searching on keywords and finding documents that related to that. And um, most of the documents you can download as PDFs and read them offline as you choose to. And uh, it, it, there's no short shortage of valuable information out there. The only thing I'm going to caveat with is that, especially in the Apple stuff, they're, they're towing the company line, as well they should. But so that they'll recommend using things like Apple's built-in file protection to protect the confidentiality of sensitive data. And, and as I said earlier, um, that, that method is going to fail you. But it could well be a case where using that functionality would, in future updates, automatically ensure compatibility. Well, that, that's a very good point. Um, so it, it might, and, and uh, maybe in iOS 5, um, which is scheduled to be uh, announced next week at WWDC, it, it, if that finally gets this file encryption stuff right, perhaps that'll change. Um, it, but, but for now, I'm focusing on what mechanisms we have right now. I don't have access to iOS 5, and I can't speak to it. So. But the stuff that's there right now, if you really have to protect uh, locally some highly sensitive data, uh, you just can't rely on what Apple gives you. There's also a couple of OWASP projects that I know you're at least involved in in one of the projects, the OWASP mobile security project and the OWASP iGoat project. Did you want to give a, a quick overview of, of the iGoat project because I know you're involved with that? The mobile security project um, headed by Jack Manino uh, is is off to a flying start as well. They're primarily focused on publishing um, guidelines. They have uh, in, in test phase right now, they have some guidelines on the top 10 security controls that mobile um, developers need to be aware of. It's not iOS specific, it's mobile platforms in general. Uh, and I think they're going down a great path there. And I think that that's, uh, that project is going to come up with some very useful information for us. And, and everything out of OWASP is free, of course. To our, for our listeners, if you're not aware, OWASP is the open 
web application security project. And, and don't let the web application thing fool you there. They're also delving pretty deeply into the mobile world these days. And, and the second one that you mentioned is one that I'd like to uh, spotlight a little bit here as well. It's the, uh, the iGoat project. I'm actually the project lead on that. I have a developer working with me on it, doing a lot of the, uh, the heavy lifting uh, coding on it. Together, we've designed and built a, a learning environment for iOS developers to be able to really understand what those minds are in the minefield that I mentioned earlier. Uh, to anybody that's listening, if you're familiar with OWASP's uh, WebGoat tool, that was written uh, oh, probably close to 10 years ago now, and it does for web applications what we're trying to do for iOS applications. It runs you through a series of lessons or exercises where Say, for example, SQL injection. You read about what SQL injection is, and then you, you learn about it by actually doing a SQL injection attack against a database, and you have to steal some credit card numbers out of this database. And then it says, congratulations, you, you finished this exercise. And, and in, in WebGoat, there's, oh, probably 50-plus exercises currently, and it's an enormously useful learning tool. So what we've tried to do with the iGoat project is mirror that uh, learning experience. So um, it's, it's an iOS application that you compile and build on your Macintosh using Apple's Xcode. And no, you won't find this out in the App Store. We're only releasing it in source code, hopefully for obvious reasons. But you, you compile and build this thing and run it in the um, iOS simulator or on iOS hardware if you prefer. And uh, it steps you through a series of lessons like SQL injection once again. You exploit a, a SQL injection vulnerability in a database. You steal some credit card numbers out of the database. Um, and it says, yep, you got all the credit card numbers. Here they are. And then you actually go back into the Xcode software development environment. And you fix the problem. You, you, you change iGoat and recompile and rebuild it and then prove that your fix has worked and that the uh, SQL injection attack no longer works. That uh, is a tool that we're releasing at the first conference when I do my talk on Wednesday, June 15th. We're going to be releasing that as the first public uh, release of iGoat. It'll be pretty much immediately available to anybody there and anybody that wants it. As I said, it's being released in source code for Xcode developers but it's really meant for people who just want to understand more about what those mines are in the minefield. So uh, you do have to have access to a Macintosh with uh, Apple's Xcode software development kit on it, but the cost of that entry is pretty cheap. You can go out to Apple's App Store, and for I believe it's about $5 US, you can install their uh, software development kit, download iGoat for free, and start running it and learning how the uh, attacks and weaknesses work in uh, the iOS platform. Now, those uh, limitations on platform, I guess, are, are due to Apple insisting that you use a specific platform for iPhone development. Well, exactly. There are We're starting to see some other development um, environments, some other SDKs for uh, iOS um, uh, emerging, but, the, but by far the majority of applications for um, iOS devices are being written using Apple's Xcode, um, and Xcode only runs on OS X. So 
to you to 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 make use of iGoat, you are going to need Xcode running on OS 10. Now, I've seen people run that in uh, virtual machines on on Windows um, VMware systems. That's up to you how you go about doing that. But you will need access to OS 10 in in some way, shape, or form in order to be able to run iGoat. But but that being said, if you have that, I, I would invite anybody that's interested in learning more about iOS applications and what the security risks are. Take a look at iGoat. It costs you nothing. Run it, install it, step through the exercises, and and take a look at fixing like the the SQL injection. We're commenting the code and putting in some help there so that we're not just leaving you dangling. It's it's not just hey go out and fix this and you're on your own. We're providing a lot of information so that you can use this as a self learning tool and read up uh, in in the tool and, and figure out how to to make the source code changes. Go into Xcode, make the changes in your source code, recompile, rebuild, maybe do some more edits if your uh, changes didn't work, but but nonetheless fix the problem. And and that I think is the way that software developers learn best. You really internalize the problem that way because you've actually done the coding to fix um, something like a SQL injection problem. I understand from the from the project roadmap that it's going to be a modular design, so people can write their own modules and give back to the project as well. That actually has, has taken probably oh seventy five or eighty percent of our development time up to this point, and that's a very good point that I want to um, spotlight here. Is that the the platform that we've built around iGoat is intended to be um, extendable. So um, anybody that wants to, and that's one of the reasons why we're releasing this as an open source project through OWASP, is that we want people to participate in this. We're releasing it with a set of five or six initial exercises, but we want to see that grow, just like WebGoat has over the years. Each, each new release of WebGoat, there's three or four or five new exercises in it, and we want to encourage the same sort of thing with iGoat. We, we've built this to be extremely modular. The, um, the, the, for example, the descriptions of all the exercises are all in one XML text file. If you want to add a new exercise, you start by going in there and just adding your own description of an exercise and adding in the hints using uh, the, uh, the syntax that's already there in that XML file. You will have to know some Objective-C. You can't just add an exercise without any knowledge of Objective-C. But if you have some basic knowledge of, of how to do that, you'll find it really easy to develop new um, exercises there. One of the things, for example, in that XML file that I mentioned is you, you, you give your exercise a name and you point it to the, the view controller method of your exercise, which if you're an Objective-C developer, that, that nomenclature makes perfect sense to you. And then when somebody clicks on your exercise to run it, it fires off your model view or your, your view controller and your exercise starts executing. It makes it really, really easy to uh, extend um, iGoat. And, and as I said, that's taken us about 75% of the development time so far has been spent on getting that platform right so that it is easy to extend by anybody that wants to participate in the project. I'll be handing it out for anybody that wants to grab it immediately when we're in uh, Vienna. It'll be out on the OWASP portal, of course, for download. And, and we just want uh, people to gravitate to this and, and use it as a self-learning tool to learn about those mines in the minefield, as I said. And people interested in finding out more about the OWASP mobile security project or the OWASP iGoat project can head over to owasp.org. Correct. Correct. Um, and under the projects, they can find 
all the information that's required. Absolutely. I think both are listed as beta projects right now on, on the OWASP uh, site. But if you point your favorite search engine to uh, OWASP iGoat, you're going to find the project page real fast. Same with the mobile security project. Um, they're both out there on the public projects page. They, they, they're both very new projects in an OWASP sense. Um, they've just launched in the last few months in each uh, case. Uh, we want to encourage people to come to this party and play with it. And uh, anybody that's listening to this that's interested in iGoat and participating in the project, please email me or seek me out at the conference in Vienna. Um, I'd love to talk to people and I want to encourage people to, uh, to help us extend iGoat and make it really useful for a much larger community. Thanks for listening to this interview on the official first podcast. You've been listening to Martin McKay from the Network Security Podcast. And Christian Riley from the Eurotrash Security Podcast. You can find out more about the FIRST conference and this podcast at www.first.org. Thank you very much for listening. See you in Vienna. Vienna.